In the book of Acts, uh, we have come to this place where uh, in the background, uh, Paul, the apostle, you know that, that Paul, um, when he came out of uh, his time, his third missionary journey, he had a desire to go back to Jerusalem. God put this desire in his heart to go to Jerusalem, and so Paul's heart is to get there. And even though they had already told him, they had prophesied, there are many people that warned him, saying that Paul, when you get to Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna take you, they're going to put you in prison. One prophet named Agabus took Paul's belt, and he said the man that owns this belt is going to be tied up like this. And then Paul says, well, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm going to go. I'm ready not only to be put in chains, but to die for the sake of the gospel. So he gets to Jerusalem. And if you remember, when he got to Jerusalem, he shared the praise report with James and the other disciples. They were excited. And then James says, hey, you know what, Paul? There's rumors about you. People are saying that you're trying to break uh, away from, from the Jewish faith and culture and that you're telling people to act contrary to God's law. So would you do this? Would you shave your head, take this vow, pay for these other guys to do their vow? And then maybe the people will be satisfied. Blows me away. Paul humbles himself. He acts as a servant and he does that. And then as he does it, um, he is still misinterpreted uh, by others and people see him. And someone says, he's bringing Gentiles into the, into the temple. Now there was a, an outer court called the court of the Gentiles. That was like the, the, the patio area. But then when you go in, that was where only the Jews could come in. And so they saw Paul with some Gentiles and they assumed and said, oh, Paul was in there with some Gentiles. They got so angry that they wanted to kill Paul. They wanted to drag him to prison. They wanted to beat him. And then so Paul finally, if you remember at the end of chapter 21 last week, it was this cliffhanger where Paul stood on the stairs. He motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in Hebrew, the Hebrew language saying, and that's where the chapter left off. So now we get to this place. What does Paul say? And this morning, as we get into chapter 22, I, I just want you to think about opportunities where uh, people talk about seizing that moment. And I think that it's really, really important for us as Christians that we see that God puts us in certain situations certain places, not only for us, not only for our community, but to be useful in God's hands. And if you go all the way back in history, you'll find that at certain times in our history and in world history, that God has raised up a man or a woman for that time, for that place, for that season, so that God could use that person to bring about God's purposes. I mean, you think about Monday, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day. And did God not raise up a man during the civil rights movement, a man of the gospel, a man that knew Christ, to say that people should be treated equally? And God uses a person at a time. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You think about Esther in the Old Testament. You look at Paul the Apostle. And when God gives you the open door, here's a hint for all of us, take it. When God gives us an open door, take it. And I love the fact that when when a Christian has that kind of heart, God will give you a platform. And so God gives Paul this platform. And I want to read in Acts 22, what does Paul do with this open door and with this platform? We're going to read it and then we're going to look at some specific things that God has for us in this chapter. So Paul motions with them and in Hebrew, their language says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And he said, I indeed a Jew, um, am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, and also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, whom I also received letters to the brethren, and I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. 
And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. When we look at Paul the Apostle, I just think of this in verses 1 through 5. Now is your chance. Just imagine there's people with all these rumors about him. There's people that are talking about him. There's people that are um, they're really trying to kill him. Um, it says that they rescued him. Otherwise, the people would have torn him to pieces. Uh, this is nothing other than a mob mentality. There's a riot. There's a hatred towards Paul. And, and I'll tell you that if you've seen any of the footage of what happens uh, when people get together in mobs, that they just go crazy. You know, I think about in the Middle East with ISIS and, and the things that are happening there. I mean, the havoc, the persecution. If you read about what happened in France when there was a, a newspaper that decided to come out with a column and with a cartoon, and it was about Islam and how they came in and they killed 12 people there. There, there is a mentality in this world, this mob mentality at times that just in hatred says, I just want to shut you up. But Paul the Apostle has an opportunity to speak. And I want you to notice that he doesn't take the opportunity primarily to defend himself as much as he does to tell them about who Jesus is. Now, yes, it is a defense uh, for himself in some ways, but I want you to notice that in verse 1, he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't scream at them. He's not disrespectful. You know what he calls them? Brothers and fathers. See that in verse 1, brethren and fathers? What is that? It's a term of respect. It's a term of relationship. He calls them, first of all, brothers and fathers. He said, hear my defense. And the word in the Greek is apologia, where we get the word apologetics. Apologetics is giving, it's giving a reason for the hope that is within you. So Paul is saying this. Please listen to me, brothers and fathers, and let me give you the reason for the hope that's within me. I'm going to share with you, um, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And he speaks to them in this Hebrew language. And so he draws them in. And what he's saying is not only a term of respect, but he's saying, I'm one of you. In other words, I speak your language. And as we look at the way that Paul shares the gospel, um, it is so important that when we talk to people that we speak their language. Now, that is true when it comes to linguistics. If you move to another country and you're trying to reach people, um, you know, when Ryan Petrick was here and he was sharing how Don interprets for him, you know, when he's teaching a Bible study on a Sunday morning, but how Ryan himself is just trying to learn the language so that he could speak to them in their own language. But let me say this, that in our country... In our culture, we need to be able to speak their language. Now, you might think, well, I speak English, you know, and they speak English. Is that what it means? But let me go a step further. Just take a common ground and relate to them. I might be totally, totally different than someone. A different background, a different religion, a different culture. But as the Lord builds relationship, in the same way that you build friendship, you look for common ground. And if you're going to share your faith, look for some common ground so that you could relate to people. One of the things I, I loved about coaching football this last year was not just that I love coaching football, but it was a common ground to open up doors to talk about other things. See, my highest agenda in coaching football is not winning a championship. My highest agenda, even though it's to teach kids character, it's to um, teach them the game and to have fun and all of those things, my highest agenda is that I could be a witness for Christ. And I pray that in whatever it is that we do, whether you are um, a stay-at-home mom or whether you work in construction or you work at a bank, that you have goals and you have things that need to be accomplished, but above and beyond all of those things, it's, Lord, how can you use me to be a witness for you here? And so don't think of this as, well, of course, this is Paul the Apostle. This is what Paul wants to do. I, I think that it's important for us as believers to look at it and realize God wants each of us to be his hands and feet. As I, I shared with you before, you know, there's five Gospels. And I don't remember who originally said that, but he said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and the Christian. The problem is that most people never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So their opportunity to know who Christ is is through us as living epistles to share the good news with people. And this is what Paul does. He explains to them in verse 3, I indeed am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. So he was a Jew. Gamaliel was the great-grandson of a rabbi named Hillel. And Hillel was considered the greatest rabbi in all of Israel. So what Paul is saying is that, hey, I have a background like your background. I, I have the same upbringing. In fact, I was raised under Gamaliel. He, he actually discipled me. He was my rabbi. And then notice, instead of attacking them, he said, I was zealous toward God as you all are today. If you talk to a Muslim, start there. Start with their zeal for God and say, you're zealous for God, but I'm also zealous for God. But let me tell you how Jesus came as the Messiah and let me explain to you who Jesus is. If you talk to someone that is really um, into spirituality, Santa Cruz County, right? Spiritual, not religious. Everyone's spiritual. Everyone is spiritual. And, and even, even promoting spirituality. Start with that. Look for the common ground and begin to use that as an opportunity to share, them, share with them who Jesus is. Don't attack them. Don't come at them. Share with them the common ground. Remember when Paul comes to Macedonia, what does he do? He comes down by the riverside. You remember he had the vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us? He gets there and there's no synagogue. There's not even, there's not even a handful of Jewish believers and, and men to form a synagogue. So he goes down to the riverside where people customarily went to pray. Start there. Don't get in arguments. Don't go over all the differences. Just start with the common ground and begin to share with them who Jesus is. Paul says, I know that you're zealous toward God. And, and realize that Paul is saying, I was just the same way that you are. Start with relating to them. In verse 4, Paul says this, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and the council of the elders. And I received letters to the brethren. I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul is, in a sense, you know what he's saying? Hey, I know you guys want to kill me. I wanted to kill me. He's saying, I wanted to kill people that were the same way as me. And you know what? Maybe some of you, before you came to Christ, you just thought Christians were just wackos. Just super weird, just fanatical, just strange people. And what can happen is if you have been a follower of Christ for a time, you can forget what it was like to not be a follower of Christ and forget how to relate to people. And you can start speaking Christianese and start judging other people instead of saying, you know what? I used to think the exact same way. I totally understand why you would think that. Yeah, I used to think that way. And, and Paul uses that as a door to begin to share with them. In fact, Paul goes further. He's, in a sense, they want to kill Paul, but Paul's saying, I persecuted this way all the way unto death. I was fanatical about chasing them down. I was responsible for the death of Christians. Not only in Jerusalem, but I went outside of Jerusalem. Imagine how fanatical it would be to chase people down outside of your own city. I just got to follow them wherever they meet, wherever they gather, and I just got to stop this. That was Paul's heart, and that was Paul's mentality before he was a, a Christian, before he was a follower of Christ. Just imagine how that must have grieved Paul after he became a believer. I mean, as he's sharing this, and I don't think we should ever share our testimony with a, a longing to look back at the good old days. You almost sometimes hear people share their testimony with this glimmer in their eye like, oh, that was so fun. Uh, I remember before I was a Christian, man, I just, I just used to party and I used to, man, I used to like sleep around. I used to, uh, there were all these women in my life. And I used to get drunk. And, and sometimes when you hear people talk about their testimony, you almost have this sense of, wow, they, they really liked it. You know, they really had fun. But I think when we come to Christ, we realize how painful it is to realize how we stumbled people, how we hurt people, how our, our mentality was so different. 
I mean, when you talk to a Christian that may, uh, maybe before they became a believer, they were violent. And they look back at their lives and they think about people that they beat up or even people that they gossiped about or people that they just tore down and they, they destroyed a, a person's reputation. But Paul, this follower of Christ, looks back at his life and he was zealous, but he was zealous in ignorance. Now, to bridge the gap of not only I can relate to you and I understand how you think because I used to think that way and I've been through what you've been through, Paul now goes into what is known as a testimony. And when you think about Paul's testimony, I want you to think of it this way. Testimonies are simply true stories. That's what a testimony is. It's a true story of what God has done in your life. Um, how many of you have seen the movie or read the book Unbroken? Uh, Louis Zamperini um, went to USC um, was in the U.S. military during World War II, was, was tortured at a, a Japanese camp. Um, later on, this bitterness, this anger was just so strong in his life. And the movie doesn't go into the depth of this, but you know what happens is after World War II and he's released, he comes to Los Angeles to a Billy Graham crusade. And it was at the Billy Graham crusade that he comes forward and he receives Christ as his Savior. And you know what he does later on? Because Christ has forgiven him, he goes back to Japan to find the, the people that beat him and tortured him to let them know that he's forgiven them. It's, it's a really powerful, incredible testimony of, of a man who had been changed. And the compelling thing about that is that it's a true story. Um, true stories, they draw me in. Um, VH1 has this, I, I can't remember what biography type of thing, but it's, it's about all these, what is that called? Behind the music, thank you. Uh, behind the music. And it's like Motley Crue, behind the music. And you just hear like, man, th this is what really happened. This is what they really went through. And you hear brokenness and you hear life story. And, and all you see in public is a persona. You know, sometimes all you see is your boss, your teacher, your coach, your coworker, your friend. But, but behind that story, there's something going on. And when you share your testimony... There are people that want nothing to do with God, but they'll listen to your story because it's true and it's your own experience. And this is what Paul does. Realize that Paul's testimony was so important that the Holy Spirit records it for us five times in the Bible. In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul's conversion recorded by Luke. In Acts chapter 22 here, Paul is telling a story to persuade the Jews Later on in Acts chapter 26, Paul is going to tell his story to persuade the Gentiles. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes to the Philippians his testimony so that they could understand more about God. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy to give him encouragement. So now in verse 6, imagine the people hanging on the edge of their seat and Paul says this, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. Now remember, Paul was educated under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi of his time, the great grandson of Hillel. He went to the best school, the best seminary. He had this incredible intellect. But notice, it wasn't his education that brought him to a deeper understanding of Jesus. What was it? It was an encounter with Jesus himself. And I want to share with you all of the books, all of the things that you could read and learn about will never draw you as close to Jesus as an encounter with Jesus himself. When Paul is on this road, he heard this voice and notice how personal it is. I heard a voice saying to me. Now, Louis Zamperini went forward at the Billy Graham crusade to receive Christ as his savior, but realized that this Colosseum, the LA Colosseum, holds over 80,000 people. And not over 80,000 people came down to receive Christ. Now realize many of them were believers and followers of Christ. But sometimes we could hear the same message but the person that is sitting next to us 
may not receive it in the same way that we receive it. I want you to think about what it was like if you're a, a Christian, if you have been born again, that you probably heard the same message as other people, but you responded differently. I remember when I first um, came forward publicly to receive Christ um, as a child. I was six years old, seven years old. I was sitting in the sanctuary and, and I came to a fuller understanding and really a personal commitment at age 16. But I remember in, in like second grade, Raul Reese was my pastor and he just asked people to come forward if they wanted to receive Christ. And I'm sitting in this sanctuary on a Wednesday night and I'm with my brother and my sisters and I just knew in my heart that what, whatever he said was what I wanted. And so I remember I stood up as like a seven or eight year old and I walked down the aisle and my friend Javier was with me. My, my buddy that I grew up with, we, we walked down the aisle and all these people are clapping. They start crying because they see two little kids come forward to receive Christ. And we don't know what that exactly means. But I do know this, that at that point in time, God got a, got a hold of my heart and he never let me go. Now, I didn't always walk with him. In fact, I didn't have that understanding until later on between my sophomore and junior year of high school. But God used that time because he spoke to me. And you know what? When God speaks to you, it becomes very personal. It's no longer God speaking to the masses or to a church or to a group of people. But right now, God might even be speaking to you. And you know when your heart is beating and there is something that is going on and you know that it's for you. Like this is for me. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, some of the greatest Christian thinkers, some of the greatest Christian minds were at one time just bent on persecuting Jesus or at least proving that Jesus was not really the son of God, that he wasn't the Messiah. Um, guys like Josh McDowell, just his, his whole mindset was to show that Christians are stupid and they turn off their mind and they're blinded. And he's one of the greatest apologists of the Christian faith of our time. Guys like Lee Strobel, who was a reporter whose wife had become a Christian and he thought she was crazy. And he's like, I just got to prove to her that she's insane. So I'm going to study these documents and I'm going to show her that this religion is, is stupid. And I'm just going to look at it as a reporter would look at it. And he comes to this place of realizing this is true and Jesus is real. Guys like Dr. Rick Oliver, who used to be the science guy here at, at Mount Hermon. And as a biologist and as a scientist said, this is all ridiculous until he started looking at intelligent design and realizing, no, there really is a God who created some kind of order. And all of this wasn't just an explosion and came from nothing. Guys like C.S. Lewis, um, who um, had a meeting with J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And when they met together, they talked about Jesus and they had this meeting. And when you read his testimony, he goes on a motorcycle ride and they're going to the zoo. And on, he said, when I started my motorcycle ride to the zoo, I did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. And by the time I finished that motorcycle ride and got to the zoo, I believed that Jesus was the son of God. How did that happen? They had a conversation. They looked at scripture. And as he was riding his motorcycle, God began to speak to him. And it became a personal encounter. So Saul, we realize that it doesn't matter who it is. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're thinking, I'm just here, you know, and, and I'm here because someone else invited me or because there's people that I love and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to hang out together after church. We're going to grab some lunch. You know, I'm visiting if I'm out of town. Um, maybe you know someone that you think that person is as far away from the gospel and from Jesus as you can imagine. And don't ever give up on them. Don't ever give up on them. And this morning, if that's you, then God is speaking to you as well. Now, in verse 9, uh, we're going to see when God speaks to us. Verse 9, it says, um, Those who are with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? Now, the people that were with Paul saw light and they were afraid. Maybe people that are with you, they, they see light, but they, you know, God is a scary thing to them. And then they, they did not hear the voice. In other places it says that they heard the voice, but they didn't comprehend it. This word hear, it means literally to hear with, 
with understanding. So they may have heard a noise, but they didn't understand what it was that God was saying. But Paul did. So he said, what shall I do, Lord? When God speaks to you, you know it. Don't hesitate to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? In fact, even today, for those of you that have not received Christ, Lord, what do you want me to do? But for those of us that have, God, what do you want me to do today? God, what do you want from me? Remember this, that delayed obedience to God is disobedience. And sometimes in God's patience, I could be disobedient. And in my disobedience, um, there are consequences that he still loves me. But man, there have been times when God has told me to do something or not do something, and I've ignored him, and it's painful. I don't want to go through that pain. I want to receive the blessing. I want to respond to God when he, when he speaks. And the Lord said to me, verse 10, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those who are with me, I came to Damascus. And notice how humbling that this was for Paul. He was once the leader calling the shots. Literally, it was thumbs up or thumbs down. When he's there with Stephen, Paul, one of the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and they're stoning this guy to death. And Paul is there with a thumbs up, giving approval or a thumbs down, saying, no, go ahead and stone him to death. And Paul was that guy. And yet now he's humbled to the place of Jesus telling him, you know what, Paul? I'm not even gonna tell you what to do. Just go to this place and then I'll tell you the next thing to do. And he needs to be led by the hand. He can't even, he can't even see. Really, that's the step of faith. Just one step at a time. This morning, maybe there is something that you're perplexed about. God, what should I do? I'm seeing that there's, there's this thing that is going on in my family. Lord, what is your will? God, there's this decision that I have to make about my life. What should I do? There's a relationship. God, how am I supposed to respond in this? And you know what? Sometimes following God's will is like walking through a forest with a flashlight. You can only see as far as the light is that you have, and you can only see farther if you continue to walk. See, I want to know what the whole plan is. God, show me what it looks like. 2015, give me your plan for 2015 today. Yeah, I want to know right now. And 2016 would help. You know, I want to know a a year in advance also. But God just says, hey, follow me. And I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do. I think that there are times when God says, you know what, Matt, you want to know what the next thing is to do? You haven't done the last thing I told you to do. So why would I tell you the next thing and you haven't even listened to the last thing? In verse 12, we see... Part of this testimony of Paul is God's calling. Um, Verse 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. Now Ananias, first of all, was a, a devout man that followed the law. When Paul is sharing his testimony to these other Jews, He's saying that the man that, that, that I talked to first was a devout Jew that followed the law. The thing about Ananias is he had this good testimony. Remember, we're talking about Paul's testimony. Well, Ananias also had a good testimony. Well, let me ask you, do you have a good testimony around your neighbors? Do you have a good testimony at work? Do people say, hey, she's a really hard worker? Or are you... Um, the person that, you know, you just love to talk about other people. You know, can, I, can it be said about you on your team? You know what? When, when he runs sprints, he always finishes 100%. And he doesn't cheat. He goes all the way through the line. If, if you bring your taxes to your accountant to help you with those taxes, can it be said of you that you have a good testimony and your accountant looks at those taxes and, and realizes, you know what, this person is a person of, of, of generosity and integrity and they're not ripping people off and, and not trying to cheat? See, Ananias had this good reputation and I love the fact that Ananias, if you read in, in Acts chapter 9, remember Ananias was afraid of coming to Saul because he heard about Saul's reputation 
But God says, no, go, and you're going to tell him uh, about me. And he needs to learn all of the things that he's going to suffer f- uh, on my account for. You know, Paul had done a lot of causes of suffering. Now Paul was going to suffer. But I want you to see, what is the first word that Saul, his name was Saul at the time, what is the first word that he hears from another Christian? In verse 12, or 13. Brother. Okay, Ananias comes and the first word that he hears, that Paul hears from another Christian, is brother. And I love that because it's a, it's a again, Paul is saying to the Jews, you know, brothers and fathers, he, he's received by Ananias as a brother. And I think it's so important in the body of Christ that, that we um, receive people and accept people. You know, may... May there be no sense as Christians of, of exclusivity, um, of, you know what, you have to act like this group or be with this group. And I understand that some friendships are going to be closer than others, and that's normal, and that is, you know, Jonathan and Saul, their hearts are knit together. But I really hope and pray that as a body of Christ and as believers individually, that we have this acceptance of people and we reach out to people where they are. And you know where where Saul of Tarsus was? Up until this point, he was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. After conversion, there's this Ananias that comes to him and he calls him brother. And I'll tell you that it's hard. We could easily gloss over this in scripture and say, oh, what a cool thing, calls him brother. But man, I would have a really, really tough time calling Saul brother when I knew the things that he was doing towards Christians. And sometimes we don't treat people with the same grace that God gives us. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't paint um, a picture, you know, we don't paint love over people. We sometimes judge people. And it is so important that, man, when, if you are new or you're a new believer, know that you are welcome and we love the fact that you're here and we want to, to get to know you. And that's the body of Christ And the body of Christ to Saul of Tarsus, the first thing he hears is brother. In verse 14, then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you. So, um, you know, here's the message to Saul. The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I I love this because at Saul's conversion, Saul also receives his calling. I think sometimes one of the missing aspects of discipleship of new believers is that we, we teach people about Jesus. We teach them about the word of God. We teach them about fellowship, but we don't teach them that God has a ministry for them. Do you realize, do you know that, that God has a ministry for you? Do you know that if you're a follower of Christ, that God has a purpose for you specifically? Now, for all of us, yes, but for you. And and we will not go forward as a church, we will not accomplish much unless all believers realize that God just used me. Man, what what happens when you have a group of believers with that kind of a heart? What could God do? See, I think that sometimes we look at other people and we categorize them as missionaries or pastors or super Christians or disciples, but realize that God has called all of us that are followers of Christ to make disciples. So part of being a disciple is to be a disciple maker. And know that some of these directions given to Saul are no different from direction given to all of us as believers We're chosen by God, we're to know his will, we're to see the just one, we're to hear his voice, we're to be his witnesses of what we have seen and heard, we're to be baptized and we're to call upon the name of the Lord. All of us are called to do that. Now, in verse 17, Paul has to go into this part. Remember, he's talking to the people that want to kill him, right? So now Paul goes into, up to this part they're listening And now Paul goes into the part to explain to them specifically, this is why I do what I do. This is why I do what I do. In verse 17, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, and now he brings it kind of like back here. 
um, to this point in time, I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, I want to pause here for a second. Do you remember the reason in the first place that there was a riot and an arrest in Jerusalem? It was because Paul, they said, Paul, let Gentiles come into the temple. Okay, that was, that was the cause. Paul could easily leave details like this out of his testimony. He could easily say, I don't want to offend anyone. And even more than that, I don't want them to throw rocks at me. I don't want to get fired from my job. I don't want people to make fun of me. I want people to like me. I don't want them angry. I don't want them offended. I don't want them to persecute me. But you know what he does? He shares the whole truth. And what he says is, Jesus told me it's time to leave because he's sending me to the Gentiles. And it was at this word, it says in verse 22, they listened to him until this very word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a man from the earth, for he is not fit to live. As soon as they heard that Paul said, I'm sent to the Gentiles, they're like, that's it. We're done with him. We want to get rid of him. Now, sometimes when it comes to um, sharing this testimony, uh, realize that when we share our testimony and we share what God has done, people may not respond the way that we want them to respond. And you know, when it comes to teaching the word of God, I'm not responsible for how you respond. In a way I am, I, I take, like any good teacher would take responsibility to try to get the students to learn. I try to prepare, pray, study, present it in a way that's understandable. But you know what? The only time that something can be received is if it falls on hearts and ears that are open. And so when Paul says what God told him to say, he's not really responsible for how they respond. And I think it's interesting that God sent Paul to the Gentiles. I actually think Paul would have been the perfect apostle. And I think that Paul's even arguing with the Lord here. Like, like Jesus, I, I, I persecuted people in these synagogues. And I, I was putting them, they're going to listen to me. My brethren, my own people, they're going to listen to me. And yet Jesus says, no, Paul, I want you to go to the Gentiles. I think about Peter. And Peter would be great for the Gentiles. He was a fisherman. He was a a tradesman that was working with Gentiles every day. He was a a blue-collar worker, perfect for Gentiles. And what does God tell Peter? What does Jesus tell Peter? I'm sending you to the Jews. We don't have the right to pick our own sphere of service. Now, I do believe this, that God gives us the desires of our hearts when our desires to say, God, whatever you want. And I think in a roundabout way, this is what's happening because Paul is saying, God, whatever you want. And he's saying, well, you thought it was to the Jews, but I'm going, to, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Chuck Smith was called to the hippies when he was already balding and he was not even close to a hippie. So you don't know where God is going to call you. That's the lordship of Jesus. It's now in this life change, he has the right to call the shots. That's the whole thing when Paul says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And when we come to Christ, we need to be able to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not, not what I want, but what you want. Because how many things in your life, when you look back, that you would have chosen a different plan. You would have chosen a different way. You would have chosen a different thing. And yet God has a plan and he's going to use that. So in verse 22, they listened to him until this word. And then they yelled, you know, away uh, with this man from the earth. He's not fit to live. In verse 23, then they cried out. They tore off their clothes, a sign of blasphemy. They're tearing their robes. They threw dust in the air. I mean, they are fanatically just angry at Paul right now. And the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted so against him. 
In other words, you know what? If we just whip him, if we just beat him, he'll tell us the truth. He'll eventually crack. And as this is happening in verse 25, and they bind him with these leather cords, and Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And this, when the centurion heard that, he went and he told the commander saying, take care what you do for this man is a Roman. And then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. Now it was illegal to beat a Roman citizen without a trial. So Paul is kind of, it's kind of like Miranda rights in our country, right? It's like, hey, you haven't even read me my rights here. And, and Paul my, my question that it fascinates me, why did Paul wait until this point? You know, like, okay, I mean, these people are starting to riot. They want to tear them to pieces. They're angry. They're yelling. And now Paul's like, oh, by the way, I am a Roman citizen. You know, so it could be that he wanted their full attention. I actually believe that, I think he thought that there was still hope that he would be released and go to these, go to his brethren, go to the Jews. But at this time, they're going to they're gonna bind him and, and strike him and uh, scourge him. And so I want you to notice something as we come to a close here in verses 28 through 30. I want you to see that God's plan started a long time ago. In verse 28, the commander answered, With a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. Paul said, I was born a citizen. So there were times that they could purchase their citizenship. They could even uh, bribe at times to receive a Roman citizenship. But somewhere either Paul's father or his grandfather or one of Paul's ancestors was already a Roman citizen. And so by the time Paul was born, he was born as a citizen. In the same way that when my dad and mom immigrated from the Philippines, they became citizens. But because they became citizens and I was born here, I was born a citizen. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, to the commander... You purchased your citizenship, but I was born as a Roman citizen. Interesting that God, in his vast knowledge and, you know, om, omnipotence and omnipresence and, and his perfect knowledge before time, knew that Saul of Tarsus, being born as a citizen of Rome, would have an opportunity to share with the Romans because he was a citizen do you ever think about your background and you think, why does God have me where he has me and how did I get here? You know what? I'm, I'm blown away by that. We could have been born, you could have been born in any place in the world. If you were born in the United States, realize there's a privilege that comes with being born in the United States. We could worship right here and as of right now, there is no one that is storming down our walls to drag us out and to cut off our heads. But our brothers and sisters around the world, there are places where if they gather to worship like this, that that could happen. There are places where it is illegal to proselytize. Right now, you could still walk in downtown Santa Cruz and you could still witness to someone and share the gospel with them. We, we are born for such a time as this. And sometimes I, you know, I, I think about different time eras and and like, oh, I wish I would have lived at that time. I wish I would have been born in this season or at that point in time. But you know what? God chose to have us here right now. And he chose to have you here right now for this time. To live in your neighborhood. To know the people that you know. To be born into your family. And so this plan that God had for Saul of Tarsus, we know him as Paul the Apostle, it started a long time ago. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, I want you to listen to this. When Paul is at Mars Hill and he's given his testimony um, there and he's reaching out to people, he said this, and God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. The circumstances in Paul's life seem like they would have been bent against him coming to Christ. And yet God used that circumstance. Now what about you? What thing that has happened in your life that seems like that's the barrier and God says, no, that's the thing that I'm using to draw you near to me. You know, it blows me away when you, when you talk to people that have come through tragedy that some people can grow just super bitter and angry at the world 
and just vindictive and I understandably so by the things that they've been through. But yet there are other people that have been through similar circumstances and it has been that thing that has caused them to look towards God. And it all depends on where is your heart today. So maybe you've been through some pain. Maybe you've been through some just tragic experiences in your life. Maybe things that have happened to you when you were growing up. Maybe things that you have done to hurt someone else and now you live with this guilt. And whatever those things are, realize this, that might not have been a good thing that happened to you, but God promises in his word to be able to use all things together to cause those things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to, you, to his purpose. And many times the greatest ministry in a person's life comes from the greatest pain. There's no one that can speak to a family that has been persecuted and has had family members martyred than someone else who has had family members martyred. There is no one else that can speak to someone that is struggling through cancer like someone else that has struggled through cancer. There's no one else that can speak to a person that is going through a painful divorce than someone that has been through a painful divorce. See, sometimes we look at that pain and that being the thing that we shake our fist and we get angry at God and God says, no, in that pain, find your healing in me. In that difficulty, realize I'm the one that loves you. Don't run from me, run towards me. And that very difficult thing that you've been through, I can use that in my hands. God can use that. God is saying, I can use that in your life to bless others. I can take the experiences that you've been through, like Paul, and you could reach people that no one else can reach because they'll listen to you, because you could speak their language. So the next day in verse 30, because he wanted to know, the commander wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds, commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So another cliffhanger, and this is how we end chapter 22. You know, I love this because the Holy Spirit wants us to know Paul's story because there is something that we learn about God and something that God wants to speak to us about. Now, as we go into this time of worship, title of the message, Seizing the Divine Moment, some questions to consider as we worship. How do you try to relate to people who don't know Christ? You know, Paul calls them brothers and fathers. He creates this um, common bond. You know what? There are people that you work with that speak geek. You know, if you're a computer programmer, that's that they understand uh, code and they understand systems that, and you understand, let that be a common ground. Just talk to them about those things, but then say, Lord, show me where the open door is so that this could be a means to an end of being able to share with them the hope that I have. So look for those opportunities. Another thing is in seizing the divine moment is this. When is the last time you shared your testimony? When's the last time you shared your story with someone? Because realize, people might shut you down if you open up the Bible and you begin to read the Bible to them. But if you just say, hey, you know what, I, this is what I've been through. And man, this is such a hard time in my life. This is what I struggled with. And this is what God used. People will listen. Just pray. God, show me the opportunity to share my testimony. How has God prepared you to make an impact on this world for Christ? Paul was born as a Jew, but he was also born as a Roman citizen. Maybe God gave you a certain talent. He gave you an ability. Use it. That's your open door. That's the opportunity, whatever your background is. And then look for the opportunities to testify for Christ. God, open those doors. Show me where those doors are. And finally, this morning as we pray, what is God speaking to you? When Jesus spoke to Saul, there were other people around him. They saw light. They heard something. But yet God was speaking specifically to Saul. This morning, what is God speaking to you personally? And as we worship the Lord, God never casts away those who seek him with a sincere heart. And if you really want to know what God wants to say to you this morning, there is nothing let me repeat that. There is nothing preventing you this morning 
from God speaking to you if your heart is really willing and open. Now, what prevents me is, God, you could say anything you want, but here's my list of things not to say to me. And God's like, well, that's, that's the way that I have to submit to you. Then maybe you're just going to have to wait till you get desperate enough. But if your heart is open, God wants to speak to you this morning. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you that you gave us Saul's testimony, Lord, for us today. And then, Lord, I could become even, uh, I could even realize that personally, that, Lord, you gave me Saul's testimony. And in the same way that you called him by name, Lord, this morning I pray that each one of us would know that you call us by name. Lord, uh, you have said to us in your word in Isaiah 43, I've called you by name, you are mine. Though you walk through the, the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. I pray that you would remind us, Lord, that through the trials that we go through, the fires of life, the, the torrential rivers, that God, when we trust you, we're not going to be destroyed. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. And then, Lord, I would pray that if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and their Savior, like Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, that today you would speak to them and change their identity. That they would say, Jesus, who are you? What do you want me to do? Help me to follow you. Forgive me. So as we worship the Lord, I would just ask that each one of us individually would pray. Jesus, what do you want to speak to me this morning? I pray, Lord, that there would be no hindrance. I pray, Lord, that we would come with open hearts because you've already shown us that you're good. You who have not spared your own son, will you not also freely give us all things? So God, we ask that we would know your will. We would know what we're supposed to do. In Jesus' name, amen.